You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, um... How uh, how are uh, you positioned on the free kick? Try again, the free kick ladder. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I think it's worth talking about. I think we need to get to the bottom of why the AFL continually tries to screw Geelong. Yeah, it's, you're right. Geelong's had such a hard run of things over the last 10, 20 years. It's, it's been a tough run for Geelong supporters, I feel for you. They're not even giving free kicks to Joel Sullivan anymore. I mean, <laughs> what's going on? We, well, this I don't is, know what's going on. This I know is a weird a couple year. of games, but uh, this is this is just not on. We can we can get to this uh, in a little bit. Uh, there was an interesting story. I, I'm always just curious to see the free kick ladder, and we've spoke about uh, free kick differentials before and what they actually mean. I mean, you have to be watching the game to get a real feel for it. But it is certainly interesting to see uh, some of the teams that have a. Pretty high differential, let's say that, with the with the free kicks for and against. Yeah, and I think the thing I want to look at here, because you always hear about it, yeah, the standard free kick Hawthorne and mm-hmm. yeah, the free kick Bulldogs, which has been a thing as well for the last four or five years. Hawthorne's last in free kick differential. The Bulldogs are sixth. It's not a... And that's only a plus 10. You never hear free kick kangaroos who are a massive plus 60 on the year. <laughs> like that is, that's, a, that's a big number. I was surprised. I was definitely surprised to see North Melbourne at the top. I wonder if, I, I don't know, I wonder if that is just because they are getting dominated so much and there's more uh, maybe contested situations that they can get a free kick for. I don't know. Or maybe, you know, if you're getting blown out, maybe some 50-50 free kicks the umpires will leave. I'm not sure. But the North Melbourne, 247 frees for, 188 against. It's incredible. I certainly wouldn't have guessed that uh, North Melbourne would be there. Second, of course, Collingwood, we know uh, through the history of football, they've always been favoured by the umpires. They're plus, <laughs> they're, they're, they're plus 44. And then uh, it is interesting to see Port Adelaide and Fremantle 3 and 4 because, uh, you know, whether or not this is the case, I'd have to go through and count the individual games at home. But, you know, fans has been a really interesting factor this year. And to have fans at a, a ground in big numbers and we know what the Port Adelaide fans and Frio fans and WA footy fans are like. It's interesting just from a human uh, decision-making aspect for mine how these umpires go from some games where there's no one, uh, and particularly back in Victoria when they were umpiring games, there was no one. Then all of a sudden they're in WA where there's 30,000 fans. Uh, it's Honestly, I, I don't blame them. I mean, it has to be a little bit difficult. And uh, human nature tells you that if uh, maybe you might be attracted to look at something a little closer than you would otherwise. I have, I don't know how that couldn't play a factor. I, I'm not sure. I know people look at that negatively, but to me, it just makes sense that the, the fans would have some sort of influence. It's kind of part of having a home ground advantage. Have you ever umpired a footy game before? I have not. Neither have I. So I was hoping he'd give you some insight into, into what it was like. Because <laughs> I reckon it would be tough to, to ignore to ignore that um, yeah. to ignore that feeling because everybody, no matter who you are has some level of self-doubt in something yeah. you do. So you see something and you give it and then the crowd goes against you and you go, oh, did, maybe I missed that. Did, did I miss that? And then you go back and you watch the footage during the week. Yeah, I did miss it. And so then that doubt creeps in. Like, it's impossible to eliminate. You, you can't eliminate. That's why I don't get 
too overly you know, caught up in, in free kick counts or free kicks in general. It's more when something is blindingly obvious or yeah. completely doesn't make sense with something that happened a, a couple of minutes earlier where I go, I can't rationalize it. If someone misses a free kick, sees it differently because of their angle, or you know, there's a slight change in interpretation, I go, oh, you know what? That's shit, especially if it's against my team. Otherwise, he's go, oh, well, I can see how it happened. It's more like the egregious, there is no justification for this error. What did you actually see here where I get worked up about it? Because it's a bloody hard thing to do. And we talked about the Fremantle-Carlton situation and how we all go, oh, yeah, it's Gibbons' free kick. You can see that. But you're not down there as a five foot two man in amongst a group of six foot four monsters. Yeah, trying to negotiate where you are and trying to work out who's the closest as you're watching the ball, as you're watching the players for holds, and and then go, oh, well, yeah, you were definitely closer. You're not. You're not in a bird's eye view. You're stuck in the trees there, and it is a really hard thing to be able to. And in general, I think the umpires do a pretty good job. Most of the problems that seem to come in terms of officiating is not from them. It's from directives and unclear interpretations or changing interpretations. Um, but yeah, so I, yeah, I don't really work myself up about free kick counts because, as you know, Kane, you, free kicks don't have to be even. Uh, no, and again, I, I spoke about Carlton. It's interesting, Carlton are minus 14 and the free kick differential, but it's also where the free kicks come, and you can you can win a free kick count by 10 on the day and still feel like you're absolutely screwed if the free, bad free That's kicks true. came in the wrong area of the ground. And I said... Yeah, prior to last week against Fremantle, where I think Carlton well and truly even the score a little bit by picking up the four points against uh, Fremantle. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting to look at. Just some of the other teams that are there. So just to make sure that my sort of fake narrative about the crowds doesn't you know gain too much traction here. Port Adelaide plus thirty four, Fremantle plus twenty nine. But then Adelaide are only plus eight, and West Coast are actually minus three. So you know whether that actually plays a factor, I'm not sure. I'm just speaking about how I think I would feel, and it would be a little bit difficult. But these guys are professionals, so I'm sure that they try and avoid that at all costs. And then the bottom three: Richmond minus 31, Geelong minus 46, and as you pointed to, Hawthorne minus 50. That is uh, that's a significant number for sure. The other thing is, is that we look at this and you say, you know, Carlton is what did you say minus 14, and Sydney's plus 11. It's one a game. Uh-huh. Like well, this is talking about. Okay, so you lost the free kick count nineteen to eighteen every game, in which nobody would even bat an eyelid. Fifty nine right. plus is big. Minus fifty is big. Minus forty six is big. Plus forty four is big. Anywhere between this eleven and minus twenty two is basically inconsequential. I think so. You're just really looking at the top couple there. And, and the bottom couple, where it's going, it's going on. But then you look at the way that, that Richmond plays and, and the way that Hawthorne has played historically in terms of, you know, we, we talked about Richmond and all their MRO citations and that sort of playing on the line. Um, that, that I, can't, I can't explain North Melbourne's one. Um, but that's, that's more of a factor because overall, yeah, a, a differential of 11 is, is absolutely nothing. That story's over at sen.com.au anyway. That was up there in the last uh, couple of days. If you want to... Have a closer look at that. But one player yesterday that was in the news was Tex Walker. Coming up for game number 200. It feels like he's been around for a lot longer than that. But game 200 for him uh, with Adelaide. And he is contracted for next year. He sort of was basically saying, listen, I want to play next year. So if Adelaide doesn't want to go in that direction, I'm fine. We're going somewhere else, even though I prefer to be a one-club player. So it begs the question, would anyone be interested in Tex Walker next year? Now, his year has been down this year. There's no doubt about that, particularly if you just want to simplify this absolutely to goal production. He's only kicked 11 goals this year from 10 games. Last year, he kicked 43 from 22. So his goal production is basically down to one per game as opposed to two per game last year. But 
uh, let's be honest, this Adelaide team doesn't kick too many goals at all. So the opportunities uh, haven't really been there. Can we really uh, you know, blame Taylor Walker for the way this season has gone? Do the Crows actually benefit from having him around next year? I mean, to me at this point, they're probably better off saying, you know, we love you. We respect what you did for the club for the last decade, but uh, we can't afford to keep giving you a game next year. I think that's pretty much you're hitting the nail on the head. He's only 30, which is wild. Like He doesn't feel yeah. like he's only 30. He's been, it feels like he's been around forever, um, but he's just not impactful anymore. I remember you know, even going back to you know, 2015 Bulldogs Adelaide in the finals. Was, Man, we've got to watch Walker. Walker's getting out here. Someone who's playing on Walker, and now, like, again, no, I'm, I'm contrasting that because the Bulldogs just played them this week. And you know, they've got Ryan Gardner playing on him. I go, okay, okay, that, that's fine. Like nothing's. I'm not worried here at all about what he's doing. Cause he's just, he's not imposing. He's not. Um, he doesn't seem to have the same aerobic capacity. Maybe the Adelaide medical staff will tell me different. He's not pushing because he used to just be that guy that would push up to the wing, push up to half back, and then get back on, on you know, for the the, you know, the second or third kick after that. Really playing in that. Not saying they're the same player because they're not, but they're that, that old Wayne Carey mold where they push way up to the wing to the halfback and grab those grabs and then try to get back and, and be the one out as as the ball moves its way back in. Like he was really dangerous there, and he's just I don't know where where he fits. Like we talked about, we talked about Collingwood needing a, a, a forward target to kick goals. Does he make sense there on a team that is a little bit older? Um, and he can fit around with some decent small forwards, Elliot and Stevenson, and those sort of guys. Would he would he make sense there for them? Because you know we talk about them needing a Ford. Has he got a year left in him? Well, I'm looking at the other numbers I'm looking at here, and you spoke about his ability to get up the ground. So disposals per game right now, he's at seven. So he's yeah. just not getting his hands on the footy again. I've watched it. You can call me crazy, but I've watched the Crows a fair bit the last four or five weeks, uh, which is insane in itself. But I mean, they're not giving him a chance either. Let's be honest. Being a forward for the Adelaide Crows right now would be absolute disaster. So his disposal is in the single digits for only the first time since his first season way back in 2009. So that gives you an idea of how he's not finding a ball. Last year in 2019, he still averaged 12 possessions per game and, as I said, two goals. So, you know, at times there's been games where I've looked at Taylor Walker and said, you know what, he's actually got a little bit of juice left. He looks better than what I thought he did. So I wonder in a competitive team, if he could be that you know, complementary forward. Collingwood makes some sense, just because it has to be a team that's in the window. It has to be has a team be. that's trying to win the flag. So, you know, Richmond's obviously out. Geelong are out. West Coast are out. Uh, you know, Port Adelaide. You know, we'll spoke, uh, I mean, he wouldn't go there anyway. Let's just get that out of the way. And Essendon is the other team that people will talk about, but we've spoke about the no-man's land that Essendon are in. This is completely the wrong direction for them to go for a Taylor Walker-type player. So... Unless a team that is, you know, on the fringe of the finals wanted to throw him a bone, I think Collingwood might be the best option. And the the good thing is that regardless of the contract, this would be a similar deal to, you know, past you know, veteran players we've seen. Collingwood wouldn't have to give anything away. So whether or not he ends up actually being a guy that impacts the team, I'm not sure. But you wouldn't think they'd have to give anything up to try. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a thing. He's going at a, at a pretty cheap rate at, at this point, and yeah, with Adelaide seemingly destined to be moving on from guys like um, yeah the, the Crouch brothers. We heard that report that if Brad Crouch yeah. goes, then yeah, Matt Crouch could be on the way out as well. And there's trying to yeah, build around the, the the Rory's and a bunch of young guys. Uh, and probably Daniel Talia there as well. Um, then they're moving out and creating cap space and not only cap space but opportunities. 
um, yeah, for these other these other young forwards to, to come through is probably the direction they need to go. So one other note I had here, and it might not look uh, like it'll be an issue right now, but Melbourne's rugby grade, we spoke about this a little bit. Obviously, Max Gorn uh, is not going to play this week against uh, your mob, but Braden Pruce also had some hip issues. Now, uh, the latest I've heard is that he's going for a scan this morning. So unless that finds something that I guess they're not expecting to, uh, he might be out. But it's just funny to see how quickly things can change. Last week, there was a lot of conversation about Bruce. And, you know, honestly, I mean, he's an AFL standard ruckman. It's kind of strange that he decided to go to Melbourne in the first place and play behind Max Gorn. He gets one game in, plays pretty well. The Demons have a big win. And all of a sudden, a few days later, they're potentially facing uh, a game with no number one ruckman. But, you know, if Bruce is out of this, you know, again, we spoke about the Melbourne and Bulldogs midfield a little bit yesterday. But I do think it swings the game significantly uh, in the favor of the Dogs, who don't necessarily have a dominant ruckman. But it just evens the playing field. Yeah, it does. And then that, when the ball then is hitting the ground, then it enables the, the midfield to, to go to work. And yeah, it, it is tough because I don't understand the Proust stuff either. I don't know why he would have gone there in the um, in the first place. But okay. and then the opportunity arises, and he's not he's not ready to do it anyway. So that's obviously um, that's obviously a, a concern for Melbourne. Um, yeah, I, I just yeah, I don't know how they well, who are they going to play in the ruck? What's, what are they going to how are they going to manage this? McDonald? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, has, the unfortunate thing the unfortunate thing for them is uh, no Luke Jackson, obviously, mm. with the hamstring. You know, like this would have, you know, oddly, it would have been actually really fascinating to see the direction they went. I, I think Bruce probably still would have played against Collingwood last week, but if Jackson was there, would they have just said, well, here's your opportunity. Go up against Brody Grundy for a game and, and we'll back you up with a McDonald who was dropped on the day. So maybe they would have gone with Jackson and McDonald rather than Bruce. Uh, in that one. It would have been really fascinating to see. I would have loved to have seen Jackson get a full game uh, in the ruck. But yeah, uh, maybe McDonald's. I, I don't know, I, to, to be honest. It would really it would throw them into chaos. I mean, there's not too many teams out there that have two genuine quality number one ruckmans, obviously one superstar in, in Gorn. It's, uh, they're, they're kind of lucky in that regard. The other thing that this does is you, you talk about the Bulldogs and having a dominant ruckman is that you know, Tim English can get in trouble against these guys. But when he goes mm. up against someone who is not that good, we saw that against Essendon, he once he gets his hand on the ball, which he doesn't always mm. do, but once he gets a hand on the ball, like it gets delivered to the right spot, and that could be. I'm not saying it's going to happen this way, but it could be a real disaster if he's able to get get a hold of that and, and get around the ground as well, and get a hold of them in the middle and just palm them down to Bontempelli running through the guts. Uh, they're in real trouble. No, there's been several games this season where you look at the the stats after the game, and Tim English has had. 14 hitouts, but five of them have been to advantage. He's got a really high percentage in comparison to the other ruckman uh, around the league. So that's that's why you know when we've spoke about him in the past, I think yeah moving forward, uh, he will have to be a guy that gets his hand on the ball a little bit more because uh, he's he's so good when he does, and uh, it obviously helps the doggies there. Yeah, it does. All right, I think we should move on to the next segment here of the show, Kane. We're looking at all Australians uh, again. We talked about Backman yesterday. Now it's time to look at forwards, small forwards. You've got three names here. Tom Papley, Charlie Cameron, friend of the podcast, Dan Butler. Probably, yes. probably only, not, not including the bench here, but probably only two of those three make it. Who are your two? Well, uh, if, I, if we go through some of their stats, obviously Dan Butler right now uh, has kicked the most goals, 22, but Papley's got 21. Cameron has got 20. I think Charlie Cameron gets in. I think that's the one that uh, definitely gets in there. He's also got 
57 score involvements that ranks second uh, with those two there. I think the real question is going to be out of Dan Butler and Tom Patley. And I think the next five weeks are really going to determine this because Butler's had a couple of really rough weeks here. Kick one goal against the Bombers. Was completely snuffed out against the Cats. So has he... Is he getting looked at a little bit closer by the opposition? Are they completely stopping him from getting out the back? Because that's where he feasted at the start of the season. And how can he get himself evolved when he's not getting those easy goals? I think that's a big question with Dan Butler. Because he is coming up against a guy that ranks number one for hungriest little fella in the league, Tom Papley. He is the absolute hungriest man in the AFL. And he's only kicked 21 goals. So I, I think, you know, out of those two, it might come down to simply who kicks more goals. Because there are other stats... Uh, around the ground are pretty close. The only difference really is Dan Butler brings the pressure a little bit more. 28 tackles inside 50 this year to just 17 for Papley. But I think Cameron's a lock. But, you know, the discussion between Butler and Papley, I, I think these next few weeks is going to determine this. I I think it's clear cut at the moment, personally. Um, and I, I think it's Papley because we yeah. can talk goals. You can say, well, they're small forward. It's their job to kick goals. Tom Papley is the key forward on that team. Like he is the guy that's leading up. He is the guy that gets the attention every single time. He takes marks in leads. He takes crumb. He gets crumbing goals. He's he is their forward line. He is everything, and he's doing it at a pretty high level. And while Butler was really good early on, how many of his goals were the out the back ones? Which he's got to work hard for. Him. He works hard for his goals. There's no doubt about that. But he, there are three, four other guys there that draw attention and draw the ball towards them and enable him to get the space that he has been getting. Whereas with Papley, there's, there's no one. He is just he is getting the attention all the time, and he's still coming through, and they're still performing at an equal level if you just look at raw numbers. So to me, it, I agree with Cameron. Uh, it's it's fairly clearly to me at this point, Papley, especially you know, adding the, the Butler drop-off over the time where people feel maybe they were surprised early on, and they go, we're not letting this guy get out the back. And that has really put a uh, clamp on him. Whereas everyone's trying to put a clamp on Papley and it's not really working that well. Yeah, Papley's a little dynamo, isn't he? It's, it's a good point you make about him being the key forward. I mean, we talk about Blakey a little bit. Last week, Dawson, he sort of started in the back line, but he was a guy... Uh, that sort of drifted forward and kicked a couple of goals. But obviously, without Buddy, you're right. Everyone knows the ball's going to Papley. It's similar to Cameron, actually. I mean, I yeah. know I know the Lions have Hipwood and also McStay up there, but he's the main target. And, uh, you know, it's it's got to be a, a difficult task for him. The other guy that I would put in the mix, so the, the only reason I'm saying I think two or, two or three could, would get in is we're about to talk about the key forwards, which I think there's also an interesting three guys that are battling for these spots. But I, I think that, what we're going to see, because we see this every year with the All-Australian team, they cheat a little bit. So a, a guy like Paddy Dangerfield is is probably almost definitely going to be named this year under half-forward flank. And they can, they can do that, and they can justify it maybe more than ever because they'll say this year, well, yeah, look at him. He was playing up forward a little bit. That's, that's, like, that's what he did. You know, if Nat Fife, I, I don't know, you know, he's had some injuries. He hasn't been in the midfield as much. But if he's in the conversation, he'd be another guy that they would put on a half-forward flank. So that's why I, I'm saying I think that there'll only be two out of three out of these small forwards and then two out of three out of the tall forwards. The other guy that, you know, would really be in the mix if he could stay in the team is Toby Green. If you look at his numbers and what he's done in the games that he's played, I mean, the guy's an absolute magician. We've spoke about him before. He would probably be in the mix. And the only other guy that's, you know, kind of an interesting outsider, I think the doggies... You know, probably if they were a better team, he would be getting a little bit more uh, attention. And when I say better team, I mean, like, really, you know, in the top four right now uh, would be Mitch Wallace. I mean, he's been one of the more consistent uh, small forwards, mid-level forwards in the league this year. So I think Mitch Wallace and 
Toby Green are on the outer. Uh, mostly green because of games missed. But uh, those are the five, uh, for mine, the five premier small forwards in the league this year. Unless you watch the Bulldogs play most weeks, you'd probably laugh at that Mitch Yeah, exactly. You'd exactly. laugh at yeah. it. you go, there's no way. But... Much like Tom Papley, like he, especially when Norton was injured, he was acting like a key forward. Yeah. Like he was the guy creating all the space, leading up, you know, turnaround marks, like just creating goals for everybody. So yeah, he'd be in that mix. Now, as, as for the big forwards, you got Tommy Tommy Hawkins, Josh Kennedy, Charlie Dixon. To me, I think we talked about Hawkins elevating his game, not not only being that big one out target, but a guy that's orchestrating uh, offensive football, the guy that's setting up everybody and kicking goals himself. So he, to me, he's in, and I find it hard to go past Charlie Dixon, who yeah, had, a, had a stinker last week. He's had a couple, but Kennedy had quite a few of those to begin the season, and there's a little bit of recency bias there that when the team was going poorly, Kennedy was nowhere to be found. Like He was bad, and we talked about it. He kicked like one goal over three weeks or something to start the season. He wasn't involved at all. So I, I give the nod there to, to Dixon and Hawkins. Um, just, you know, we're looking over you know, 12 weeks of footy, not seven or eight. Yeah, uh, look, I, I think that at this point, and again, uh, we can always be accused of being a little bit biased, there's no doubt. But I, I think, again, if you look at the overall season that, that Hawkins has had, I, I think he is, at the moment, probably the one lock out of, out of the group. If you include you know, the, the amount of footy he wins as well compared to the other two, the other two average around seven touches a game. Hawkins is up at around 13. He ranks number one in key forwards in the AFL for ranking points, marks inside 50, score involvements, goals, goal assists, score launches, also tackles inside 50. So it would be hard to ignore Hawkins, who's been an All-Australian before, but maybe arguably he's having his best season. It's really interesting with Kennedy and also Dixon because... I would maybe agree that I think that Dixon, if you look at uh, score involvements there, he he beats Josh Kennedy 61 to 53. Uh, and goals, obviously, is the one that, that Kennedy is up 27 to 21. And Kennedy actually has a game in hand there as well with West Coast having to buy a couple of weeks ago. So I, I think that Josh Kennedy is probably in the box seat to win the Coleman. And that's where it becomes interesting because if you win the Coleman... Yeah, they always put you in. you got to be in the All-Australian team, yeah. don't you? So, yeah. Yeah, that's where I think then it becomes a conversation out of maybe Hawkins and Dixon. So I think if Kennedy doesn't get the Coleman, then I think the decision is easily uh, easily Dixon. But if he does, then it turns to Hawkins-Charlie. And, you know, Port Adelaide have been on top of the ladder for the whole year, and there would be some people that would suggest that maybe Dixon will get it over Hawkins. So I, I just think it's a, it's a really interesting battle between those three as well, between the small forwards and the key forwards. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to watch how these last five weeks pan out because I, I think it's going to have an impact. Yeah, it is. Now, you look at those numbers and, and Kennedy's kicked those goals, that's fine. But I still think that when you're looking at who's been the more impactful player this season, I still would have Dixon. Now, that in three weeks' time, that could that could change very easily. We're seeing you know, five weeks left of the season here. That could change. But I think to date, I still think Charlie's been a more impactful player than, uh, than Kennedy has. But again, there's, there's ample time for that to uh, for that to switch over. Now, let speak- me just say, let Go me ahead. just jump in and say to, to to prove your point or to sort of agree with your point there. We spoke about this a little bit about how Port Adelaide looked against Geelong on Friday, but you know, Port Adelaide without Charlie Dixon. <laughs> I, I think that that is a team that that slides right back into the pack. Like I think they're in big trouble if they missed him for any period of time. West Coast without Kennedy, would they be as good as they are? Maybe not, but I still think with Darling, Oscar Allen, I just think they've got more options. They're a more dangerous forward line group. So I, I kind of, if we're talking most valuable player to their team, then it's without doubt Dixon, maybe above all all of those three. Let's do a quick uh, preview here for 
the Friday night game, Gold Coast was the last team that we saw play. They're going to be the first team that we see play again in this round. And they have to take on the Carlton team. Um, yeah, obviously, the Blues probably need this one more than Gold Coast. I think Gold Coast's chances are, are, are dwindling here. Carlton needs this one. So what are we looking for? Well, first of all, I think this game is cherry ripe for the Blues to get. I mean, we know they desperately need a win to keep themselves in touch with the eight. And so did the Gold Coast. But we spoke at the start of the week about the fixture and really, really screwing the Suns. I mean, yeah. the five-day break against the Tigers with a nine-day break. And they played the last game of the last round and now the first game of this round, despite the fact uh, that the, the footy frenzy is over. So it makes no sense that the Suns have been handed this fixture. Free, uh, Carlton obviously having a couple of extra days to recover. So they're well and truly in the box seat. So I think the, the absolute key for Carlton is pressure in this game. If you pressure the Suns in the first half, I reckon you're going to give yourself a chance to run over them. But one guy I want to look at, Tom DeConing, and it's unfortunate because the teams aren't out. So if he doesn't get picked, this could be completely irrelevant. But the last two weeks he's come into the side against West Coast, he was so close on a number of occasions to clunking those marks. He gets to the contest well. He's tall. He's lanky. He gets his hands uh, first on the footy. And last week against Fremantle in a game that did not uh, did not suit the big men at all, he still had 21 hitouts, and he was just thereabouts. He competes really well. So I'm wondering against uh, this Suns team whether he's the guy that can uh, take a few take a few pack marks because he's looked really likely in his first two weeks here. How many um, how many marks do you think that he has taken this year in his two uh, games? I, I'm gonna you know, I would almost say zero. It is zero. So yeah. you're right. It is his time to take a few marks because he's taken he's taken zero as a 203 centimeter player in the last yeah. two uh, in the last two rounds. So he needs and look, conditions weren't necessarily great last week, and going up against West Coast is not an easy thing. But he needs to get his hands on the ball somewhere. He needs to, he needs to take a grab somewhere. It looks uh, promising though. He, yeah, he look, does like for a young tall guy coming in. He looks really really you know like he could have an impact. Yeah, look, he's played just the four games in his career. Um, didn't really do much in the in the ruck last year, and he had the three hitouts. that played you know not not as a ruckman. So that's a bit of a change in role for him this season as well and just getting um getting that opportunity to to develop and I, I, again we talk it's not just about how many numbers you can accumulate like are you in the right yep. spot are you hitting hitting those packs and then you go well in three years time they will stick or you'll get yeah that little that little five centimeters higher on your on your jump or in position in a different area and you could see that with him which is uh, mm-hmm. which is encouraging as well for carlton fans but this is an opportunity but now, Gold Coast has been pretty pretty good in terms of uh, big men play all year. Wits has been strong for them. So how's he going to? How's he going to go against this team? It's I guess it is a, a little bit of a concern because Wits is a is a big strong ass man who has provided trouble for plenty of uh, plenty of other ruckmen this year. So there, there is a challenge here, but hey, it's always exciting for young players to get going. Yeah, and the midfield battle was going to be something we look at. We, we spoke last week about Fremantle sticking with the younger brigade in the guts, and Carlton went with the veterans. They went with Cripps, Kerno, uh, and also Sam Walsh had a great game around the clearances. Those three players for Carlton last week combined for 25 clearances, and that's a, that's a huge number. It's good to see Sam Walsh starting to find the footy as well, I'll say that, and use it a little bit better than he was at the start of the season. But you speak about wits, and he's going to have that advantage, but uh, the, the Gold Coast midfield... A bunch of bulls in there as well when you think of Greenwood, uh, Miller, Swallow. So I think the, the clearance battle is just going to be really fascinating to watch. Two teams that love the contest. Two teams that generally uh, like to win the, the the ball out of the midfield and give them give their forwards a chance, particularly with the 6-6-6 setup. So yeah, I agree. I think that's a really interesting matchup. Can Wits get those hitouts to advantage and give, give the Suns uh, that opportunity? Because easy goals for them 
is going to be the key in this one because I, I do think the fatigue is going to catch up with them. Yeah, that's it's a massive chance. They've had a really tough you know, two-week period here. And Carlton's probably going to be that little bit hungrier to get this win to push them back into final eight calculations. Kane, how can we wrap it up today for Locked On AFL? We'll be back again tomorrow. Thank you again for your time. One more night of not knowing what to do with no footy. And then it's back tomorrow, which uh, is going to be a relief. I'm looking forward to it. Back in business indeed. Guys, subscribe Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast. Stitcher and on Spotify, give us a five-star rating and review. And today, I'm going to leave you with a shout-out to Chris Tarrant.